So before we, before we read the text, I want to make a couple of statements. The first statement that I want to, to make is that Redeemer Church is not a prosperity gospel church. It is not a prosperity gospel church. The prosperity gospel says that God exists to make you healthy and wealthy and the envy of all of your neighbors and friends. That's basically what the prosperity gospel says. And then, or or I should even say, it is essentially straight up materialism clothed in religious language, in biblical language. That's what it is. Okay? Now... Now, we're, we're not a prosperity gospel church. We, we, we don't want to be materialists. We, we want to be worshipers of God. But while I say we're not a prosperity gospel church, at the very same time, I can also say that we're not a misery gospel church. And so we're not on the other side that says God wants you to suffer. He wants, he wants to give you all the worst stuff that He can give you. He wants to punish you constantly. He wants you to persevere in the midst of that punishment so that one day when you die, you might get a few good things in heaven. That's a misery gospel church. That's not what we are. We are a powerful gospel church. All right? The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Right? For the, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. We believe the powerful gospel. And so what what we need to understand about the gospel and about God Himself is that God oftentimes gives instructions with incentives. He often gives instructions with incentives. What is an incentive? An incentive is a motivation to follow the instructions, isn't it? Isn't that what an incentive is? In other words, if you follow my instructions... Then you'll get this, and this, and this. Well, Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12, is full of instructions and incentives. Instructions and incentives. And I just want you to know that the gospel is not devoid of incentives. The gospel is not devoid of saying, listen, there are some good things that will happen if you worship the Lord and if you follow Him. And so, the text is going to be up on the screen for you. Verses 1 through 12, and this is what I would like to do. I would like to to read the instruction part, and then I would like you as a church to read the incentive part. The instruction part will be part 1. The incentive part will be part 2. And I want you to see how they work. I want you to see where he gives the instruction and then gives the incentive. And it basically is instruction verse 1, incentive verse 2. Instruction verse 3, incentive verse 4. That's how it will work. So I'm not going to say anything on the second part. You guys are going to do all the talking during our scripture reading in those parts, okay? So here we go. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. The title of the message is Skill in Trusting the Lord. It's all about trust. Beginning in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your backs will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. So you saw the instructions and the incentives that followed, right? Good, good, good job, church. So as a local church, we are a family. That's what we are. When I write to you every Wednesday of the Roundup, I call you family, dear Redeemer family. And you know, there's a lot of kinds of families out there. There are big families and small families. There are loving families and selfish families. There are all kinds of, of families that exist. And you could say a lot of things about our church family. But one of the things that I would never want to be said about our family is that we are a foolish family. That we are a family of fools. I want us to be a group of people who are wise, who understand the instructions of the Lord and live by them. And so last week, we defined what wisdom is. This is what it means to be wise. Can, uh, can anybody remember what the definition of wisdom is? It's on the screen. Okay. All right. Blew that one. <laughs> all right. And so wisdom is the skill to effectively navigate all of life toward the glory of God. That's right. I know a number of you are, are memorizing that definition. The fact is, life is a journey. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not a Christian in this building today. You're on your way to somewhere. And what we said last week is that as Christians, we are on our way toward the glory of God. We are on our way toward the presence of our God and King, Jesus Christ. Now this is the key. Proverbs tells us that one of the key attributes of wisdom is trust. One of the key attributes of wisdom is is trust. Every person who has ever been wise is a person who has trusted the Lord. You see, we think that wisdom has a lot to do with having know-how, whether to buy this car or not buy this car, whether to make this business decision or not to make this business decision. And in fact, those things do require God's wisdom. But it's not just about technical know-how. It's about trusting the Lord so that you can have the technical know-how. That's what, where trust comes in. And so I looked up the word trust in the dictionary this week, and it means to fully rely on the integrity, strength, and ability of somebody or something. To fully rely on the integrity, strength, and ability of somebody or something. And so to trust in the Lord would then to be fully to rely on the integrity, the strength, and the ability of the Lord Himself. Now, if you look down at verse 5, if you got your Bibles open, the Father says to the Son, trust. Trust in the Lord. That is the key verse in this section, and many believe that this is the key verse in the entirety of the book of Proverbs. Trust. And what I want you to know is that the Hebrew word that is translated trust right there means to literally throw yourself down onto the ground, face first, arms out, feet spread before God, taking to Him all of your emptiness, hoping that He will fill you with His fullness. 
That's what it means to trust. One theologian has said that this word trust means to do a belly flop on God with all of your sin and all of your failure and all of your fears. You stake everything on the gospel promises of God, so much so that if God fails, you are damned. But if he succeeds, you will have life everlasting. That's what it means to trust, to do a belly flop on God and say, I'm giving you everything that I've got, which is nothing, but I'm trusting you for life. You know, it was about 14 months ago that I stood up here preaching out of the gospel of Mark, and I told you the story about the the great Charles Blondin. I don't know if you remember that name, but Charles Blondin was the guy in the 1800s who was famous for his tight wire, his tightrope expeditions. And if you can recall, I told you the story about him going to Niagara Falls and stretching a a, a rope 1,100 feet across the top of Niagara Falls, 160 feet above the rushing waters. The the tightrope was three inches inches and a quarter wide. And over 25,000 people gathered to watch Charles Blunden walk 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls. And in fact, he walked all the way across. And everybody just cheered. And then he walked back across. And then he got on stilts, and he walked on stilts across, and then walked all the way across. Then he got a wheelbarrow, and he walked a wheelbarrow over, and then he put cement in it. And he walked with the wheelbarrow and the cement inside, and everybody's going crazy. And he says, how many of you believe I could put a person in this wheelbarrow and could walk across? And everybody was like, yes, you can do that. And one of the men, he says, then why don't you get in the wheelbarrow? Why don't you get in the wheelbarrow? And the man declined to get in the wheelbarrow. Now listen, I think I said this back then, but even if I didn't, there's a, there's a big difference between trust and fascination. If the man truly trusted Charles Blondin, he would have gotten in the wheelbarrow. But instead, he was just merely fascinated with the wonders and the amazing feats of Charles Blondin. And I want to propose to you today that many times we are fascinated with the Lord. We are amazed at what He can do. We look at Him and we're like, you go God, you are so awesome. But we don't trust Him. We don't get in His wheelbarrow. We're not ready to go all in. Cody and I talked about yesterday, we were looking at our backyard and our front pasture, and we were looking at our fence, and and Cody and I were looking out at the fence. You remember this, Cody? And we said, you know, if you sat on the horizontal post that we have uh, between our backyard and our front pasture, and you sat right in the middle, and one leg is on one side and the other leg is on the other side, what you could say is you are half in and half out. But what we talked about was getting either all the way in on the front pasture or all the way in in the backyard, but let's don't play this wishy-washy game between the two. And that's exactly what Solomon is telling us to do with the Lord, is let's don't play this wishy-washy game with the Lord. Let's either get all in or let's get all out. Let's trust Him with everything. Let's do a belly flop on Him and say we trust your fullness because all we have is emptiness. And so I want to call you more, I want to call you to more than fascination with God this morning. I want to call you to trust Him, to be wise by trusting the Lord. I want to give you five attributes of the Lord that you must trust. 
Five attributes of the Lord that you must trust if you want to be wise in this life. The first is trust the virtue of His commands. Trust the virtue of His commands. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Notice the word forget. What does it mean to forget something? It means to lose the memory of something. To lose the memory of something. And I want to ask this question. How do you lose the memory of something that you know? How do you lose the memory of something that you know? You neglect it. You neglect it. Ben Brown, I want to ask you, can you remember your locker combination from high school? No, you can't. Ben, can you remember the date and time and place that you married one Mary? Yes, you can. All right. Tell me, why can you not remember your locker combination, but why can you remember when you married Mary? (laughs) That's right. Your locker combination is no longer precious to you, is it? It is really irrelevant to you. But when you stood before God, before the pastor and before a congregation of people, and you pledged to Mary that you were going to love her for richer or for poorer, for, for sickness and in health, for good or for bad, you knew that what you were getting was a treasure. And so you wanted to treasure this person. And so you remember that date. And you treasure that date, right? And so you remember it. And you celebrate it. Well, in the same way, We are to remember the gospel. We remember God and His trustworthiness. And so we celebrate it every time. Why is it that Christians get themselves into trouble? Why is it that we get ourselves into such fixes and to such problems and to such issues? It's because we forget the goodness and the grace of our God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't treasure it. We don't treasure Him. Now, I want to say this. Forgetfulness is the first step toward foolishness. Forgetfulness is the first step toward foolishness. And so church, if you want to become a fool, if you want to become a foolish individual or a foolish parent or a foolish worker or a foolish business owner, then start forgetting the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and start living life your own way. You will ultimately become a fool. Now notice that The father says to his son, don't forget my teaching and let your heart keep my commandments. What what is that? What is he talking about? This is what he's talking about. The father has based his instructions and his teaching and his commandments on God's word, the Bible. In this case, it would be the Old Testament law. And so he's given these instructions based on God's word. And he's saying, don't neglect them. Don't forget them. Let your heart keep them. Why? Because he says, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. I boiled that down to, listen, if you keep the Lord's word, if, you, if your heart really holds on tightly to the, to the treasure of God's commands, then you're going to have both a quantity of life and a quality of life. You get that? Both a quality of life and a quantity of life. But if you forget his word, if you neglect his word, as Ben suggested, as you, if you think lightly of God's instructions and God's commands, 
then the very opposite will be true of you. I, I went directly to the Ten Commandments because I believe that's primarily uh, what the writer of Proverbs is referring to here. And one of the first commands is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. I think that if we were to ask the 400 prophets of Baal that we read about in 1 Kings chapter 18, what happens if you put other gods before him, then they would tell you uh, long life and length of days is not one of them. I think that if you were to ask Achan, um, what happens if you bear false witness and if you steal from somebody? I believe that Achan would say long life and length of days is not one of them. I believe that if you were to ask Saul, what happens when you bear false witness about God? As you recall in 1 Samuel 15, God says, go destroy the Amalekites and don't bring anything back. And if you can remember, he spared some things. He spared Agag. And Samuel comes walking up and says, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? What is all this? And somehow Saul tried to spin the story as if he had done exactly what God had, had said to do and he didn't. I believe that Saul would tell you that a quality of life and a quantity of life will not be yours if you bear false witness. I believe that Nadab and Abihu, if they were here today and we were to ask them, what happens if you don't honor your father and mother's instructions about what to do? I believe that Nadab and Abihu would say, you will not get a quality of life or a quantity of life when you disobey your mother and father's instructions. But on the flip side, I believe that if we were to ask Joseph, the son of Jacob, what happens when you obey the Lord and you follow your father's instructions, even in the midst of hardship, imprisonment, and enslavement, I believe that, that Joseph would say, you know, I got to live a long time and there were ups and downs and all kinds of really awkward situations and problematic issues, but at the end of the day, I enjoyed the presence and the power and, and the blessings of Almighty God such that I got to be His ambassador and save an entire nation and offer forgiveness to my brothers and set up an inheritance for the people of Israel forevermore. I believe that if you were to ask Joshua, what does it mean to follow your father's instructions and to not look to the right or to the left, but to follow him? And at the end of the day, when everybody else is wanting to forget the Lord, you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think that Joshua would say you would get long life and length of days and prosperity and peace in the land. And so, church, I think it's very important for us to trust the virtue <laughs> The, the excellence of God's commands. If you'll just look back down at verses 1 and 2, I just want us to make an observation that is really important. Notice the second half of verse 1. The Father says, Let your what? Heart. Let your heart keep my commandments. I want to make this statement. True obedience. True obedience is rooted in in the heart. 
All other obedience is rooted in a disobedient spirit. Outward conformity with inward hostility is the recipe for spiritual disaster and eternal destruction. Outward conformity with an inward hostility is the recipe for spiritual deception and eternal destruction. We're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And even in Bibles, it's called the story of the prodigal son. But one of the lessons that the Lord Jesus is trying to teach in the story of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son, it's about the older son. And the older son, he has outward conformity to his father's instructions, and he goes outside every day and, quote-unquote, does what his father asked him to do, never wavers from those, quote-unquote, instructions, and he goes out and does all that, but inside his heart of hearts, he can't stand his father the way that the prodigal can't stand his father. And he's waiting for his inheritance just as much as the prodigal was waiting for his inheritance. He just wasn't willing to be so audacious as to spit in his father's face. And so at the end of the day, when grace is given to his younger brother, love and compassion and mercy is given, the eldest brother cannot stand it. He he shows the hatred that he has for his dad when grace is extended. Why? Because all of these years of outward conformity never were a demonstration of an inward heart that wanted to honor his own father. And you know, Jesus was actually teaching a lesson in there. He was basically saying, you Pharisees, you religious people, you don't love God. I mean, you you look like you love God with all your out stuff, but your heart is far from me. I want to give you that warning this morning. I, I, I want to say this, and then we'll move on. We are tempted to disbelieve the virtuous nature of God's commands. We are tempted to disbelieve the virtuous nature of God's commands. We are often persuaded that God's way is not the best way. That our way is the best way. We are tempted because Satan does a really good job of it. He's been doing it ever since uh, he he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. He, He does a wonderful job of persuading us that God doesn't want our best. That God doesn't want us to be happy. That God doesn't want us to have joy. And so we listen to those lies. Our flesh rises up and tells us those same lies. And so when we come at a crossing, when we realize it's either my way or God's way, we often choose our way because we disbelieve the virtuous nature of God's commands. And I just want to tell you folks, if you read the Bible, every command that God gives is virtuous. It is morally excellent. It is spiritually pure, and we would do good to follow it because length of days and years of life and peace they will add to us. And so trust the virtue of God's commands. Second, trust the beauty of His character. Trust the beauty of God's character. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. After studying this passage this week, I am persuaded to believe that the Father is talking about the steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord Himself. In Exodus chapter 34, the Lord shows up before Moses. Moses has got two new tablets to write down the law again. 
And the Lord begins to reveal himself to Moses in a very powerful way. And the Lord says about himself in third person, he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and get this, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It is the exact same phrase that is used right here in Proverbs. In other words, God is saying, I am full of steadfast love and I am faithful. In other words, I am loyally going to love you from now to evermore. I will never turn my back on you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. No matter how many times you leave me, no matter how many times you don't have faith in me, no matter how many times that you trust yourself rather than trust me, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I will never abandon you. And so Solomon is saying, listen, Listen, you need to trust the beauty of God's character. You need to trust His loyal love and His faithfulness. Let's think about this. Let's think about the loyal love of God for His people. Adam and Eve chose to disbelieve God and to believe Satan, who was a liar. Did God leave Adam and Eve alone? He came to them. He came. Why? Because He has steadfast love and faithfulness to his people. Think about Moses. When Moses sinned and struck the rock, was he done with Moses and just said, get out of here, I'm not going to have anything to do with you? No, he came to Moses. He communicated with Moses and said, you've sinned and I'm going to discipline you because of your sin, but I love you and I'm every bit as committed to you now as I was before I ever anointed you to be the deliverer of my people Israel. Think about David. David is supposed to be at war, and he, abs- he, he abdicates his responsibility to be at war. He looks upon a woman he should never look upon. He commits sexual immorality with this woman. He ultimately lies and deceives and commits murder. He's living in sin, he's deceiving his people, and he's carrying the, the, the people of Israel and the kingdom of Israel to destruction. And yet, God says, I'm not going to leave him, I'm not going to forsake him, and I'm going to come to him through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan comes to him and confronts him and disciplines him. And David, get this, he enjoys the discipline and the correction of a steadfast, loving, and faithful God. I believe if you look back down at the text, I believe that we can surmise that the father is telling the son, don't be a phony or a fraud but bind the steadfast love and faithfulness of God around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't be a fraud. Don't be a person who says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I worship God. I'm all about that. Oh, I get my worship on on Sundays. Absolutely. But then when you're in board meetings during the week or when you're in the classroom and, and you're taking a test, you, you, either, you either say things you shouldn't say, you have an attitude you shouldn't have, or you, you cheat or you lie or you do all of these things. I believe he's saying don't be a fraud. But you need to, to not only wear the steadfast love and faithfulness of God around your neck, but you need to put it deep down inside your heart. You know, you can wear a cross around your neck every day. But if you don't trust the Savior who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness with your life, your job, your kids, your family, then that cross is worthless to you. And I think that's what Solomon would say to us today. Let steadfast love and faithfulness be yours. Why? Because you'll find favor and good success in God's sight and in man's.
And so trust the beauty of his character and not only trust it, but wear it yourself, not only around your neck, but in your heart. Third, trust the supremacy of his wisdom. Trust the supremacy of his wisdom. We see this in verses 5 through 8. You have the instruction and the incentive. The instruction and the incentive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I want you to know that when I read that word acknowledge, this is the the mental image that comes into my mind. If you grew up and were in high school in the 90s, you know what this is. Hold up. You know, you're acknowledging the presence of somebody. That's not a good mental image when it comes to God. The word is not specifically acknowledge. The word is know. The word is to have fellowship with. In all your ways, know God. In all your ways, have fellowship with God. There is a difference in going headlong into your business plan or headlong into your family plan or headlong into your education plan and all the while saying, you know what, I'm going to give God some credit there too. Versus, God, I don't know what to do, but I want you to give me the wisdom. And I'm not going to take one step forward until I have your clearance that this is the best and most skillful way to act. You see the difference between knowing God and acknowledging God in your life? He's calling us to know him, to intimately know him in all of our ways. And what the incentive here is that he will make straight your paths. He, he basically gives the exact same instruction and incentive and just uses different words. Notice verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Keep your eyes on the text right there. Keep them right there on verse 7. This is what he's saying. Reject the glory of self. Revere the glory of God and run from the deceiving glory of sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying there is a God and you are not him. That's what he's saying. But every one of us are tempted to believe that we are the captain of our own ship, that we are the ruler, that we are the one who says what we will do and what we will not do. This last Wednesday night, as I was teaching Build Kids, I was teaching this passage. Two of the three weeks of Build Kids this month, I have taught the passage that I'm going to preach on Sundays to prepare the kids to be ready for it on Sundays. And so I was teaching this very section right here that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And then be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And when I said, be not wise in your own eyes, one of the children said, I already know this. I said, what is that? And the child said, I already know this. The irony was completely uh, vanished from this child. All right. See, because of sin, we are hardwired to believe we already know it. We already know it. We've got this. That's the way we're hardwired. And so we have to ask God to hardwire us again and to take out all of those faulty 
self-glorifying wires and put in wires that reach all the way to heaven and say, I'm going to trust His wisdom and not my own. I'm going to trust His way and not my own. I'm going to trust His path and not my own path because I know He is infinitely wise. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, I was basically the captain of the baseball team and our two coaches were going off to California to a baseball convention. And it was about, I don't know, three weeks before the season started. And so we had Friday workouts. And so they called me into their office and they said, Limbaugh, we want you to lead the conditioning on Friday. And so they gave me the stretching drills, the running drills, and the agility drills in which to lead. There are 31 other players. And so we get up on the track is where we did these drills. It was up on the track. And we started stretching, and I'm leading it, and then you start hearing these things, hey, hey, Rhino, why don't we just not do this this, this today? Or why don't we just do something else? And as one guy starts saying it, and another guy starts saying it, and another guy, they start really pouring on the peer pressure, and they say, why don't we just play football instead of doing our agilities and running? We'll get plenty of cardio that way. Well, the pressure was just so much that I ultimately said, okay, we'll play football instead. There was nobody on campus. If you go to a junior college on Fridays, you'll never find anybody there. Um, And so I was just like, okay, we'll, we'll play football. And so in that way, I will look good in the eyes of all my peers, and maybe my coaches won't find out. Y'all guys ever been in a situation like that? Anything similar to that? Okay, and so we played football, and man, we just had a grand old time. It was, it was great. But the next week, I get called in the coach's office. And, and uh, coach says, uh, tell me about the, how the running went on Friday. Okay, now I'm in a position about whether or not I'm going to tell the truth or whether I'm going to lie or somehow try to skirt right there in the middle. Uh, it was okay, coach. We did run when we were playing football. Um, and so I'm trying to think about how this is going to go. He said, well, you know, it was a funny thing. Uh, the, the tennis coach, the ladies' tennis coach, came into my office first thing this morning. She said it was just so cool to see my team out playing football on Friday. And I got caught. I got caught. And some people would say, you know, there's really nothing wrong that you did. I mean, you were having a good time. What could the coach expect? Well, I can tell you what the coach should have expected. The coach should have expected a Christian man who's 20 years old to follow the instructions of an authority. They were good and wise and right instructions. But instead of following the good and wise and right instructions that came from a good authority, I rebelled against those and I got myself into trouble. And then let me ask you this. Do you think that coach ever asked me to lead a day without them again? He didn't. And he shouldn't have because I abdicated my responsibility and I caved to peer pressure rather than the authority of good and wise people. And so we need to understand that we don't need to depend on ourselves and our own wisdom. We need to understand the wisdom of God. Now, I was reading a couple books this week, and in one, I was reminded of Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra, you know, an incredible musician and singer, one of his songs is, is maybe more famous than the others. It's titled, My Way. 
I want to read to you some of the lyrics of My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it, what? My way. way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out, I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it, what? My My way. For what is a man, what has he got, if not himself, then he has not, to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it, what? These are the words of the author that I'm about to read. These aren't my words, but I agree with them 100%. This is what he says. That's stupid. What he says? That's stupid. He says, but it has over 3 million views on YouTube. We glorify the know-it-all who does it his own way. But the Bible says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. A spirit of self-assurance will destroy you and everyone you love. It cannot work. The universe will not cooperate with our arrogant self-centeredness. But fearing the Lord and turning away from evil is healing and refreshment. You see, we are tempted to trust what we feel and what we want more than who we know. And we know the Lord. He is trustworthy. He is steadfastly loving and He is faithful. Let's trust Him with our lives and all that we have. Trust the supremacy of His wisdom. Finally, the last two. Trust the paradox of His plan. Trust the paradox of His plan. Mark, in your words, can you tell me what a paradox is? Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a statement that seems self-contradictory, but it's true. It seems self-contradictory, but it's true. Let's look at, at these verses in 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, at this point, what we're thinking is, and you'll have a little less fruit and vegetables in your barn and a little less wine in your vats, but in the end... You'll have honored God, and there may be something left for you in heaven. Right? Isn't that kind of what we're expecting? But he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's a paradox. That is a paradox. Now, if you look at verse 9, he says, honor. Some of your versions may say, give glory to, or glorify, because this word is the word for glory. It is to treat the Lord as weighty, to treat Him as significant, as the most significant being in all of the universe, the most important, the most worthy, the the most praiseworthy, the most worship-deserving person in all of the universe. Give Him glory and honor. And He says, give Him that glory and honor with your what? With your what? Your wealth. With your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. I want to ask you this question right now. As God looks at your financial priorities, 
does he feel honored or slighted? Does he feel honored or slighted? Imagine with me for a moment that you are celebrating a group of friends, maybe high school friends that have all converged back here in town. There's 20 of you, and you go to Olive Garden, and you tell them that you're going you're gonna to pay for the meal. And we're just going to have a good time. We'll have cake and ice cream as well. And let's just, let's just rekindle our relationships and friendships. And so you show up and you reserve the back room at Olive Garden. And there's only one server because the other server got sick and had to leave. And so this one server brings out all of the drinks and the bread and the salad. And, and she takes all of your, your orders and she's there and she's filling all the cups up. You never run dry with your drinks and, and all of that. And, and after she takes your order, she brings the plate out and then, and then you say to yourself, oh, I forgot the ice cream. And so in the meantime, she runs over to Target and gets some vanilla ice cream out of the freezer and runs back for you. And she just serves you. And y'all have been there for an hour and 45 minutes. And she has done a splendid job of serving you and your friends. And after an hour and 45 minutes, you've had your cake and ice cream and you're enjoying it. You decide it's time to leave. And she brings out the bill and it's $488. And you pull out your wallet or your purse and you open it up and you pull out five $100 bills. And you hand her that. And this is what you tell her. Keep the change, honey. How many of you have served before in a restaurant? Candace, would you feel honored or slighted by that? $488. You'd feel slighted, wouldn't you? You got 12 bucks for two hours of service. Um, some of us, with our resources and with our money, are constantly telling God to keep the change. And the reason we tell Him to keep the change is not because we just want to intentionally insult God. It's because we don't trust Him. We don't trust Him. We don't trust the wisdom and goodness and faithfulness and steadfast love of Almighty God. And because of that, we work our finances and our resources and our wealth in such a way that if God doesn't come through, it's okay. I've got a little bit here on the side that I can take care of it. What Solomon is telling his son and what the Lord is telling us is that we don't need to tell God to keep the change. We need to give God our first and our best so that he can entrust us with more resources. Matthew Henry, commenting on this verse, said, listen, said this, God will bless you with an increase of that which is for use, not for show. For giving away, not for hoarding. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. That's the principle. Those who do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. Trust the paradox of His plan. Finally, trust the affection of His discipline. Trust the affection of His discipline. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Listen, this, this is the bottom line of the bottom line here. Welcome the Lord's discipline and accept the Lord's reproof. This is what we're tempted to believe. We're either tempted to believe when we're going through a difficult time 
that the Lord may be disciplining us or correcting us from a wrong way of thinking or a wrong way of leading, uh, thinking. We're either tempted to believe that God hates us or that He doesn't care about us. And if we believe that God hates us, then we lash out in anger toward Him or we passively just become weary in our lives and waste away. Those are really the two options that we have when we disbelieve God and we don't trust Him. And what the Father is telling the Son is, listen, when the Lord reproves you, when He corrects you, when He disciplines you, when you have to walk through the valley, He is doing this for your good that you might trust Him more, believe Him better, and walk in His blessings the rest of your life. That's what He's saying. And so it's like the Hebrews writer says, the Lord chastens you. He disciplines you. Not because He hates you, but because He passionately passionately loves you and wants your best. So we must trust the affection of His discipline. You know, God loves us so much that He sent His Son not to discipline His Son, but to punish His Son. Think about that for a minute. God is so passionate about our blessing. He is so passionate about our prosperity. He is so passionate about us having peace and joy and fulfillment and wisdom in this life. He knows we can't have that apart from having reconciliation with Himself. And so He sends His righteous and perfect and holy Son, not merely to endure the hardship of life, to endure His discipline, but to endure the wrath of God, to endure the punishment so that we can enjoy fellowship with Him. Listen, I want to tell you, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God the Father sent God the Son to die a substitutionary death in your place and then be buried and on the third day rise from the dead in victory so He defeats the power of sin and death and self-centered glory so that when you look upon this resurrected Savior, you can find life and health and peace and eternal life. And all you have to do is trust Him. And when you do trust Him, the, the, the doors of the Bible that have always seemed closed open up for you and you walk in to this garden of beauty, this garden garden of wisdom, this garden of amazing things that you've never seen before. Why? Because the gospel unlocks all of these things. And listen, I will tell you, every one of these five attributes of God that I'm calling you to trust will look, will look heavy and burdensome if you look at it through the eyes of a non-gospel believing person. But if you look at it through the lens of the gospel, Man, the wisdom of trusting the goodness and grace and glory of God becomes something that you savor, not something you despise. That's what I call you to today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to pray one simple prayer for us this morning. I want to pray that you would give Redeemer Church the wisdom to trust you with all that we are and all that we have for your glory and not our own. Amen.
Through the years, Jamie and I have enjoyed running together and preparing for races and then going and running in those. And so we've run on a lot of different terrains here in Calhoun County. And, and, and one of the places that we've prepared for a big race is out on the Pinhoti Trail out by Cheha. Raise your hand if you've ever been on the Pinhoti. Yeah, okay, so most of you have. And, and, and the Pinhoti, especially during the summer, is, is, is rough terrain, a lot of switchbacks, a lot of up and down. You're going to get ticks and bugs and weeds and, and all of that, especially if it's, if it's grown up. And so it's, it's pretty difficult as you're preparing. But the, the other day, Jamie and I, we went out uh, to South Jacksonville and hopped not on the Pinhoti, but on Chief Ladiga Trail. How many of you have been on Chief Ladiga Trail? Chief Ladiga and Pinhoti, similar? They're not similar at all, all right? Because Chief Ladiga was once a railroad track that they paved. And they have, the city, I guess, the city of Jacksonville and Weaver and, and possibly Alexandria, they, they have just made that trail really nice. And so they, they cut the grass out on the side and trim the trees. But off to the sides are fields and forests, and you're, you're riding on wonderful bridges and and so Jamie and I were running on it, haven't run on it in a long time. And as we were about two miles in, we just said, this is really nice. You know, we're not swatting flies and we're not getting ticks attached to us and we're not just getting all of this stuff on us and we're not having to go up mountains. It's just a straight shot. It's really nice. And it was enjoyable. It was a joyful four or five mile run. I think I would misrepresent the point of Proverbs 3 if I did not tell you that if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways know Him, you know what He's going to do? He's going to make your path straight. And I'm just going to tell you, you're going to enjoy your family. You will enjoy going to work every day. You will enjoy the blessing of sweet relationships and friendships. You'll enjoy the grace of forgiveness and reconciliation with people that you're at odds with. You will enjoy life because God will make your path straight. And I want to leave that promise to you. Does it mean that you're not going to run on, on the Pinhoti sometimes? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that for the better part of your life, you will enjoy the straight path of the Lord Jesus Christ if you trust Him with everything that you have. And so I call you to that today. I want to remind you of you two things. First, we have reached this Wednesday night. So we won't meet here. We will go out and be on mission as we seek to love our neighbors and our friends and our community with the gospel. The second thing is, is we start a new semester of BUILD the following Wednesday. And so if you're a parent that's never really brought your kids to BUILD and committed to that, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider to do that this semester. We are super excited about not only the young kids and the middle kids, but we're going to have a youth time that's going to be really powerful. So I just want to encourage every family and every individual to commit yourself, or at least prayerfully consider, commit yourself to build this fall semester. All right, I want to, I want to send you out in the grace and the mercy, the steadfast love and faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Know His blessing this week. Amen. You're dismissed.